You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Well, when you came in this morning, and I, I was watching, they did a pretty good job. Everyone should have received a small blue badge, a pen like this, uh, with the inscription, I'm on mission. Um, if you did not get one, can you raise your hand and we'll make sure, not to embarrass you, but we'll make sure you get one. Because what I'd like for everyone to do uh, is to, if you take that badge or that pen, if you haven't already placed it on you, you just, uh, just take a moment and look at it. It says, I'm on mission. I want to make sure that we've uh, placed in our heart and our mind what it says. And then if you will, uh, if you haven't already, would you take that and would you place it somewhere on you? Do not wound yourself in the process of that. Okay, just take the, take the badge and just uh, place it somewhere on your person uh, because I want us to remember that we're on mission. And while you're doing that, I'm going to begin to move us forward in defining what it means to live on mission. We're starting a new series today. It's a three-week series called Live on Mission. And so I want to begin today to help us understand uh, in a greater way what does it mean to be, when I say I'm on mission or to live on mission. And I'm going to begin by just sharing briefly a story from our own histories. And it's this story. On September 12, 1962, President John F. Kennedy revealed himself to be a man on mission as he spoke these words. And this is just a condensed version of what he said. Um, he said, but if I were to say, uh, my fellow citizens, that we shall send to the moon 240,000 miles from the control station, a giant rocket carrying all the equipment needed for guidance control, communications, food, and survival on an untried mission to the unknown celestial body and do all this before the decade is out, then we must be bold. And then um, he gave, um, uh, he, he set the course of his mission when he said this, well, space is there. And we're going to climb it. And the moon and the planets are there. And new hopes for knowledge and peace are there. And therefore, as we set sail, we ask God's blessing on the most hazardous and dangerous and greatest adventure on which man has ever embarked. And then on July 20th, 1969, the mission became a reality as astronaut Neil Armstrong climbed out of the, the, the lunar lander, walked down the ladder, he stepped his foot on the moon for the first time, and he said, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. That was all about mission. Now, my intention in sharing that story with you this morning is not simply to provide you with a, a lesson in U.S. history, but it's to begin to move us towards the thought of living on mission. And while the story of the first man on the moon is a vivid picture of an individual living life on mission, uh, what I want to say this morning is that the Bible is filled uh, the pages are filled with stories of men and women who not only lived their life uh, with a mission, but they also lived their life according to that mission. And when we would begin to survey scripture, we would find, for instance, Noah. What was Noah's mission? It was to build an ark. God instructed him to build an ark. Uh, we find uh, Abraham. Abraham, what was his mission? To be the father of many nations. Moses, what was his mission? To lead the children of Israel into the promised land, out from Egypt. Think about Esther. We studied Esther last year. What was Esther's mission? To save the Jewish people from annihilation. And then we move over to the New Testament. And uh, we think of Jesus, of course. What was Jesus? What was his mission? To 
die for the sins of the world. And then we think of the Apostle Paul. Uh, What was the Apostle Paul's mission? It was simply to make Jesus known. And then we move on and we think of modern day men and women who did or who are living their life on mission. So, of course, who comes to mind but Billy Graham? What was Billy Graham's mission? To tell the world about Jesus. And he was very successful in his mission. But I also think of people like Johnny Erickson Tata, who lives her life on mission as a quadriplegic. What is she doing? She's telling the world about Jesus. I think of Nick Vujicic, uh, whom was with us last year. Uh, what is his mission? He's through life without limbs. He's telling the world about Jesus. All of these were men and women who are who, who were living their life uh, on mission, living their life according to that mission. And then to that list, we should be able to add all of our names. Not one person in this room is left out from that. We add our lives to the list of people who say, I'm on mission. I'm living on mission. Um, we have been called as a people to live life with a mission and live life according to that mission. That's the call that's been placed on our lives. And because of relationship with Jesus Christ... Our mission has already been defined. We don't have to figure out what it is. It's already been defined through Jesus Christ. And our mission is to participate uh, with God in his redemptive plan for the world. Think about it. Our, our mission has been defined as we, 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 uh, we work with God. We participate in his plan for the world. That the world um, could, in brokenness and, and dysfunction and whatever, all the things that we see in the world, that, that we've been called to be in that world and, and help people experience Jesus to the fullest, to experience life through Jesus Christ, relationship with God to the fullest extent. That's our mission. Today, in the first week of this series, we want to spend some time looking at uh, what does it mean to live on mission as a church? What does it mean to live on mission as a church? The actual title of today's message is uh, Rethinking Church. Rethinking Church. I have a firm conviction that um, it's not until we understand uh, the church that we can really understand what it means to live our lives on mission. Let me ask you, how many of you uh, remember this? Uh, might date some of us. I think all of us in the room might get it. Remember this? Here's the church. Here is the steeple. Open the door. And what? There are the people. Yeah, I, I, I grew up on that. I don't know where it came from, but I grew up on that. And what I would say is that illustration, in part, represents the church very well. Here are the people. But I would also say that that illustration um, uh, reveals a great misunderstanding that often is had about the church. Here is the church. Sometimes we stop here and we forget about this part. Here are the people. Listen. Uh, in understanding the church, in, in rethinking church, uh, in relation to mission, we have to remind ourselves that the church is not a building that we come to. The church is not a building that we come to. The church consists 
of people. It consists of people who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ to be his representatives in the world. That's our mission. We've been redeemed by Jesus Christ so that we can represent him in the world. The church isn't just about coming together to experience Jesus. We do. When we come this morning, we have experienced Jesus in this place. Would you agree with me? I mean, there's been a sweet presence. But that's not what it's solely about. It's not just about coming together and experiencing Jesus. But it's about us as believers expressing Jesus Everywhere we go, every moment of every day, that we are continually expressing who Jesus is to the world that's around us. When we think of the church as a building, we institutionalize the church. And I would say that so often in in our Western culture that the church has been institutionalized. When we think of the church as a building that people come to, we reduce the limits of the church. We, 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 we really confine what the church is able to do. Um, God's plan was never to empower an institution. Let me say that again. God's plan was never to empower an institution. God's plan was, and what he has done, is to empower people to live on mission is to live with the understanding that we've been commissioned and we've been empowered by God to make Jesus known to the world. For some, that causes an adjustment in thinking. Listen, we've been commissioned and we've been empowered by God to participate in his redemptive role, to make Jesus known to the world. In other words, it's not all about me, but it's all about the world around me. I'm going to say it again. For this to effectively happen, we have to make sure that we have a right mindset about the church. Um, common to our thinking is the thought that we come to church to experience the presence of God. Let me say that again. So, so often we think we come to church to experience the presence of God. And, and I want to, this morning I want to help adjust thinking where it may need to be. Maybe everybody doesn't think that way. But if there's a thinking mindset, a mindset that needs to be adjusted, I want to do that this morning. And here's what I would say. I want us to think of it differently. We don't come to church to just experience the presence of the Lord. In other words, we don't, we don't come to church to find, to meet up with the presence of the Lord, but instead we have to think of it this way. We come to church and we bring the presence of the Lord with us. We come to church and so, uh, and I may be getting a little ahead of myself, but so what does the Bible tell us about this, this body now? We are the temple. We are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. When we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, what happens? The Spirit of God takes residence inside of us. So he doesn't, he doesn't just meet up with us. It's not like he says, hey, I'll meet you on Sunday morning at the 8 o'clock service. But he says, hey, we're going together. And so we come and we bring the presence of God with us. And then what happens is as together, and this is what we've been doing this morning, we celebrate what we've all been experiencing throughout the week together as we celebrate Jesus 
together. As we celebrate God, the great God together. In other words, we come and we bring the presence of God. We experience the presence of God together. This hasn't always been the case when we look at Scripture. There has been a um, radical relocation of the expressive presence of God. For instance, when we look back to the Old Testament, the First Testament, um, we find that the, the concept of where God was was in there. Um, uh, an example of this would be in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, where um, Solomon, King Solomon is dedicating the temple. And it says at the dedication of the temple that God's presence filled the building. It filled the temple. It was in there. And then we move to Matthew's gospel, Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. And Matthew talks about Emmanuel, God with us. And so instead of now a, uh, a, a God whose presence fills a place, we have a God, Jesus, Emmanuel, who, uh, who lives among us. But then as we look to John's gospel, in fact, I want to read it to you. Uh, John's gospel, so with Matthew, it was God with us. But as John talks about it, it's God in us. Look at John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, if you will. John 14, 16 and 17. Uh, it says, I hear a few pages turning, I'll pause. It says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and what will be in you. And so now we experience uh, God in us. Again, we carry the presence of, because he is in us, we carry him with, with us wherever we go. One of the greatest, um, uh, it's not an illustration because it really happened. One of the greatest things that actually brought this to life to me is, is hearing a teaching on the Old Testament tabernacle. So uh, Moses, God, Mo, God gave Moses instructions to build a tabernacle. And it was a portable tabernacle because the children of Israel carried it with them through as they wandered through the desert wherever they went. Um, when they would set it up, there was, a, there was a place, the Holy of Holies. That's where the Ark of the Covenant was. And that, that room, that inner room, represented where the presence of God was. That was where his manifest ex- expressed presence was. And so if you think about it, what happened... As, as the children of Israel were wandering throughout the desert, they were tabernacling. They were carrying the presence of God with them wherever they went. Today, because we are the temple of the Holy Spirit, guess what? We are tabernacling. Wherever we go, we are carrying the presence of God with us. That's why we can live effectively on mission, because as we carry the presence of God with us, it becomes very natural that as we encounter the world around us, uh, in the workplace, in school, in the neighborhood, that uh, it becomes very naturally supernatural that as we're carrying the presence of the Lord with us, that people would notice and then they would begin to be drawn to and ask questions because we we. Ex- Express Jesus every day of our lives. Not just experience him, but we express him. To rightly understand the church, uh, to rightly understand the church, we have to understand that our focus is on people, not on a building. If you think about it, if with the church the focus is on a building, then um, our focus can also get caught up in building design. 
And I was thinking about this. I was like, I would hope no one would say when, when we build a building uh, <laughs> next year that we wouldn't, we wouldn't give importance to the designer. We, we want to. But uh, w- the point I'm making is we don't want to focus on just building design because that's not the focus of the church. But instead, if the focus of the church is people, then we want to focus on people design. So how do we, the people who make the church, if the church consists of people, what should our spiritual design be so that we can effectively uh, uh, p- participate with God in his redemptive plan for the world? And so what I want to do in this last bit of time is I want to read you um, some select passages. Uh, this is not in your notes. Surprise, surprise. Um, I want to read you some select passages from um, Acts chapter 1 and 2. And then what I'm going to do is I'm, going to, I'm just going to go back and um, I'm going to walk through some, some spiritual design elements of the church when we look at the, at the first church, the early church. Okay, so let me just read uh, and then I'll go back and talk about it. Beginning in Acts chapter 1. Uh, verse one in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote all about that Jesus all I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen after his suffering. He showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Listen to this. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then I'm going to move down to Acts chapter 1, verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. And then I'm going to drop down to verse 14. Um, They were joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And then I'm going to drop down to chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Uh, Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And then I'm going to move down to the latter part of verse 11. They said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And then I'm going to move over to uh, chapter 2, verse 48. Um, With this crowd, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are afar off, for whom the Lord will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. So it was then that the church was birthed. 
And then this is what's significant of the church. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So in all of those verses, we actually, when we look at the first church, we have a picture of the birthing of the church and then what that church looked like. And it's my conviction that it hasn't changed, that those same spiritual design elements should be significant to us as the people who make up the church. Again, the focus isn't on the building, but it's on the people. So what are some of the things that we could draw from those verses? And I'm not able to draw out all of them. But first, uh, we see that the church was birthed in anticipation of the promise of God. The church was birthed in anticipation of the promise of God. Jesus spoke to the disciples and he told them to wait in Jerusalem so that the fulfillment of what he had promised, the Holy Spirit, could happen. And so they did what he said. They had an anticipation that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. As the church, it's very important that we live our lives with a sense of anticipation, believing that God is going to do what he's promised in his word. That as we commit ourselves to the word, that we, we, we have this anticipation that God is always working and that God is always up to something. And that as a church, the people, not the building, but that we, the people, would have this sense of anticipation. I don't know what God's going to do next, but it's going to be great. It's going to be powerful. And it's going to happen all throughout the week, not just when we come on the weekends. Second thing that we see about the church is that the church was birthed in prayer. The church was birthed in prayer. So not only did they have a sense of anticipation that God was going to do what he said he was going to do, but they prayed about it. They prayed that God would do what he said he would do. They all gathered in that upper room when they went to Jerusalem. They gathered in that upper room and we know that they prayed. And as they prayed, uh, it led to what happened next. The church was birthed in power. So we have to believe, we have to be a people who are not only has a, have a sense of anticipation, but we're a praying people uh, that we're praying that God will do what he said he will do. But then as we do that, we have to recognize in the same way that the church was birthed in power. When we read in Acts chapter 2, there's no denying that there was a power. The promised power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses into all the world was manifest that day. And so as a anticipating, as a praying people, we, the people of the church, we have to uh, recognize the power that we've been given through the Holy Spirit. We are not left to our own. We don't have to figure this out on ourselves. But the Holy Spirit is in us, empowering us to participate in the redemptive plan of God. We don't have to speak on our own, but the Holy Spirit, the comforter that I spoke of earlier, the one who comes alongside of us and does what we can't do for ourselves, he is the one who empowers us so that we can be active in God's redemptive plan for the world, so that we can make the world know Jesus Christ, that we can make Jesus famous, that we can help them experience the fulfillment of life that he has promised for them. And then we move on. And we see that the church 
was a learning church. The church was a learning church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In other words, uh, they were committed to their own spiritual growth. As the church, as the people who make up the church, if we're going to effectively participate in God's redemptive plan for the world, we have to be committed to our own spiritual growth. Listen, you cannot just depend on Sunday mornings for your spiritual growth. I can't depend on Sunday mornings for my spiritual growth. But we have to be people who are committed to the teachings of the word. We have to be committed to our own spiritual growth. We cannot give away what we don't have. We can't give it away if we don't have it. We have to be a people. Listen, I'm just going to say coming to church is not about me tickling your ears and making you feel good. But it's about us looking, what does the word of God say? How do we apply that to our lives? And then how do we begin to live it out? Among us. That's, it's about spiritual growth. It's about discipleship. It's about becoming like Him. It's not just about feeling good. Not only was the church a learning church, but we see that the church was a loving church. It says they were committed to fellowship with one another. In other words, the first church learned how to just hang out with each other. I'm going to say this. Um, as the church, uh, we, the people who make up the church, uh, we need to learn how to hang out with each other. We, need to l- we have to be committed to building relationships. We don't want to be so exclusive that we're only in our church world. We have to make relationships outside. But there's something that happens when we will connect with one another. And not just uh, during the greeting time on Sunday morning, but outside of this place that we begin to, whether it's being involved in a, in a grace group or uh, whatever it might be, uh, a study group, inviting people to your home for dinner, going out to someone after church. To, like today, Actually, Cammie and I have so many Sunday afternoons where we just take advantage and we, we make sure we're going with someone to lunch after church because we're building relationships and so as we build relationships together, the, that empowerment that we've been given by the Holy Spirit is expressed in a greater way. So I just want to encourage you, please take time to connect with the people around you. Um, the church uh, was a, a remembering church. It talked about the breaking of bread. So it's different than just simply having a meal together. The breaking of bread in this passage talks about what we would refer to as communion. That they were in constant communion with God. Uh, they were remembering what God had done for them through Jesus Christ. And so as they were continually remembering, they were giving thanks and gratitude to God. So uh, as, as the church, we the people who make up the church, we must be continually remembering what God has done for us. Because as we remember, we express, express thankfulness and gratitude for him. But also, because that's ever before us, we're more prone to tell the people that we encounter who don't know him about, uh, about what it means to live in communion with God, what it means to know God. We express that through our lives. And we see that the church was naturally supernatural. How about that? It says that they continue to experience signs and wonders in their midst. Signs and wonders weren't for just the day of Pentecost or for the first church. 
um, as, as the people who make up the church, we should anticipate and pray for the miraculous to continually occur, not just when we come together, but wherever we are. It, it, it shouldn't be abnormal that you might pray for someone uh, in the parking lot at the grocery store and suddenly they would experience a healing instantaneously. We've been empowered. We, we've, we've been given that through Jesus that we could lay hands on the sick and they will recover. We should expect the, su- the supernatural should actually be a normal, natural occurrence in the life of the church. Again, not just when we come to a building, but as we're expressing Jesus wherever we are. And then finally, the church was a growing church. The first church was a growing church. Um, It said that uh, those who did not know him uh, were added to the church daily because they came into relationship with Jesus Christ. As a church, we should anticipate, we should pray for, we should believe for that we would be a growing church. Let me say this, not a growing church so we can simply say, oh, we had this many on Sunday morning. But in the midst of that, that we would see... um, Uh, evidence of God drawing uh, people to us as a people. And as we as the people, the church are sharing the story of Jesus Christ, that we are also then leading them into what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, leading them into the point of salvation. So they become new creations. And then because of that, the church at large begins to grow, not just the, uh, the Denver campus of Grace Covenant, but the church as a whole begins to to, to enlarge. And that, that I believe that as the spirit of God uh, is drawing people to us as individuals in the church, that he would also draw people here. And here's why. Because people can come here and they can hear the word of God. They can grow in their relationship with him. They can connect with other believers. I think it's one of the best places around to do that. I'm a little partial. But I believe, in fact, I have a a few Saturdays ago, and throughout the week I, I try to make it a habit of spending time in this room by myself praying for the church and praying for you. Uh, praying for our services. And uh, the Lord gave me a picture, uh, just a, a kind of a phrase and a picture of him drawing men and women to this place. And he was drawing men and women to this place because he was drawing it to the people, not the building, but the people. We have to have, when we think about rethinking the church, it's not to say everybody's got it wrong, but I think for all of us, there's some concepts that have to be tweaked. And, and we have to, what does it mean to live on mission? It means that we understand the, the, the church, therefore we understand how to effectively live out our mission, so therefore the world is changed. They come to know Jesus. That's what our mission is. Let me just close with these, these, these three thoughts. They are in your notes. It's kind of a summary. The ministry of the church is conducted. uh, The ministry of the church is not conducted only by the pastors or the ministers. We are all representatives of Jesus and therefore ministers of the gospel. The building is the place where we gather to celebrate, but we are called to go out and demonstrate the love of Jesus. And finally, an effective church isn't about how many people are in the seats, but how many people are living life on assignment. And we are a people who are called to an assignment. Again, it's been defined because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And we are to make Jesus known to the world. So let's be the church. Let's be the people who make up the church. Let's live on mission as a church. Let's change the world around us. Would you stand? I want to pray for you this morning. Father God, what a privilege it is to to be uh, your church. Thank you that you've allowed us, you, you've, you've adopted us in as the church. And I pray today that we would be a people who understand the church and that we, in any area where we need to make adjustment about the church, that we would just make that adjustment by your spirit and we would effectively live life on mission as the church. Father God, I thank you for what you're doing in this people who come to this building. I thank you that they carry the presence of God with them so that when we come together, we celebrate together. And I pray that that continue, that grow, that increase. But Father God, today as we leave this place, we're going to go out and we're going to be the church. We commit to that and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.